baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. This is the Chris and Amy show on KMOX. Nate Gadder is in for Amy Marks Cores. I'm Chris Ranji. And if you have an Apple Watch or have not purchased the newest Apple Watch, you may not be able to, but actually you may be able to um, because there's been a development today. And we will talk about that uh, with our next guest on the Quiver River Electric guest line. It is Ian Scher, tech contributor for CBS News. And Ian is with us on KMOX. Good afternoon, Ian. How are you doing? Oh, doing okay. So apparently um, Apple was accused of stealing uh, knowledge or something, and then they took the Apple Watch off the <laughs> shelves, but there has been a reprieve of some kind here in the last hour. Yes. So this is somewhat annoyingly nuanced, but what happened was that Apple in the last couple of years released a new feature on their iPhone, uh, sorry, on their Apple Watches, uh, that would be the Apple Watch 9 and the Apple Watch Ultra 2, that is able to read the oxygen in your blood, right, as a pulse oximeter. And what's interesting about it is that apparently a company called Massimo, which is based, by the way, in California as well, uh, invented a similar technology, or they would argue the same technology, for uh, a lot of the hospitals you go into, if you end up in an emergency room or an urgent care and they put one of those on your finger, right, and it lights up your finger, that technology apparently is patented and it, there's not really anyone else who's been able to make it work well. So when Apple came out with theirs, which uses similar technology, uh, Massimo sued, saying you stole our technology. And not only that, you stole, you know, you hired some of our employees away and they took trade secrets with them and you never got a license for the patent. And now you need to pay up or lose access to this technology. And Apple fought them and lost. And what has happened is that there is a court that is in the United States under President Biden that decides when you have violated a patent, whether or not you're allowed to import stuff that's been made into the United States. And the court decided that Apple cannot import new Apple watches into the United States because of this patent license. And just today, a federal appeals court essentially said, no, it's OK, you can sell them for now, but we're going to see whether or not during appeal Apple might lose and we might not be able to buy Apple watches again. It's all very interesting. Of course, Part of the reason is that Apple is such a massive company and seeing them not be able to sell something is rather surprising. Yeah. And, and Apple watches are the most popular smartwatch. I see them all the time. <clears throat> yes. Not only that, uh, Apple watches outsell the entire Swiss watch industry combined. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's not just that this is a popular device. It's not just that it's by an American company. It is that this is a industry leading device. And Massimo, who's, by the way, I've spoken to their lawyers, I've spoken to some of the people there. One of the things that they, they say consistently is just because Apple is this massive company worth billions and billions and billions of dollars does not make it OK for them to steal technology. And so Massimo, 
I, argues, and, and the, remember, the, the judges essentially agreed that Apple needs to be held accountable over this. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out, because typically the president can step in and say, it's OK, we're going to let the imports happen anyway. But this time they did. The, the president did not. His last day to do that was actually on the 25th. Right? That was his, his Christmas present to Massimo or maybe the coal for, for Apple was not stopping that ban. And so now it's winding its way through the legal process, which is just so fascinating. Yeah. So with that in mind, Ian, could you tell us sort of where we are in this legal process? This stuff obviously can be a little bit confusing since it's sort of caught up in that federal circuit sort of separate appellate court that otherwise maybe doesn't generate a lot of headlines dealing with these sort of patent issues. So where are we now in terms of them having stayed this this restriction, stayed this ban? What's the next step in the legal process as they continue to fight this out? Well, it seems as though Apple is going to try and appeal. And by the way, it's worth noting throughout all of this, as is typically with any patent lawsuits, there are actually multiple lawsuits happening, right? The the one at the International Trade Commission, which even though it's called the International Trade Commission, it's an American system um, that, you know, that one was just about banning imports. There are other cases that are involving stuff like questioning the patents and trying to basically invalidate them and see if we can get this lawsuit handled. So as this process is going through, it's going to be very interesting to see whether Apple is able to successfully argue, no, our technology is different enough that it is not stealing from Massimo's patent, or if Massimo is able to argue correctly, and then the question becomes, will Apple pay them or will Apple have to create new technology for this or remove it from their Apple Watches altogether. And it's worth noting, Apple stopped sales of the Apple Watch before this order this week because they knew that it's possible they could they would not be supported by the Biden administration. And sure enough, they, they may have to actually change the Apple Watches to deal with this whole problem. Ian, to what extent can the federal circuit staying this ban be interpreted as an indication that the judges think on the merits Apple is or isn't likely to succeed? To what degree is it just sort of a a temporary procedural measure and doesn't have a whole lot to do with how an appellate court might ultimately rule on this on the merits? In my experience with a lot of these things, and I, you know, I I remember the whole Apple-Samsung drama. I remember Apple-Microsoft. You know, one of the things that happens oftentimes is that courts will say, okay, well, there is this order, but we're going to put it on pause. We're going to stay the order because we're still sorting things out. And so it seems like a very procedural, normal thing. It's also worth noting, especially when you're dealing with courts outside the United States, it's actually very standard for them to make a sweeping judgment, but then put it on hold as they're dealing with appeals. So in a lot of ways, this is normal. It is unusual, though, because it's not very often that this little court called the ITC, right, the International Trade Commission, finds its way into the headlines because it is not a normal court, right? It's not part of the normal judicial process. It's only about banning the import of products from sale because of patent issues. Visiting with Ian Scher, tech contributor for CBS News. He's with us on KMOX. Let me ask you about um, Microsoft and OpenAI, which is an artificial intelligence company, and the New York Times is suing them. Yes. It is actually really fascinating. So I have been watching this AI stuff for a very long time. And one of the conversations we've seen come up again and again and again is this sense that 
AIs were trained, right? They, they basically learned how to work by, in, by putting in a ton of data that was not legally allowed. So, for example, Getty Images, who, you know, do most of the, most of the news photography on the Internet, if you look, uh, they have a special watermark that they put on all of their images. Well, they were able to prove that some of the image generation apps out there, right, like Dolly and Midjourney and some of these others that have become very popular because you type in a sentence like, you know, a unicorn taking, uh, you know, taking a, 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 a flight into whatever, right, that you can have it create this image. They were able to prove that it was actually using data from Getty to create these images. And so they sued saying, well, you didn't get a license. You didn't use this stuff right. Just like people who stole music 20 years ago and shared it with the world. You can't just take our images without paying us and then use it to create these AIs. New York Times now is doing the exact same thing. They actually showed in a story just a couple of days ago that they were able to actually have the AI repeat back emails of people from the New York Times that have been stolen from the web pages. So they could prove that the, that the AI actually had that information in it. And the only way they got that was by stealing from the New York Times. So now we're going to see, will the New York Times be able to prove enough that Microsoft and OpenAI and all these people have to pay them essentially for the content that they use to create these AIs in the first place. Artificial intelligence, Ian, I think um, of all the technologies in my lifetime, that's the one that is probably the most concerning. I think we, you know, as societies go on, we tend to be nervous about each new technology. You know, it was, yes. yeah, I mean, like it's, it's not a big deal. This one, it feels different though. And so I well, it, part of part of it is because you hear it Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice in the background all the right. time, right? That's right. And then you yeah. know, and that's that's part of it too, absolutely. But there is this other element of it. And by the way, the experts all agree we're not even close to that, right? Uh, and we're we're having those conversations now, which makes me feel good about it. But the thing is that I am curious about the impacts on the economy because those are going to be way bigger right. and quicker than the Arnold Schwarzenegger issue. And so the, the key question is, as the media industry is falling apart, and I don't know if you've been keeping track, more than 20,000 media jobs have disappeared this year. number of publications have had to lay off their staff, including, by the way, I went through a layoff this year, too. And, I, and part of what's really fascinating is that all of these AI companies are worth billions and billions of dollars, and they're using the data that these media companies created to create their AIs, but they're not paying them for it. And so, of course, there's a conversation that needs to happen. How do you uh, compensate people correctly for stuff they created that now is the backbone of these new technologies? So I, I, clearly the, the concern is, um, from my perspective, the people who are in charge of creating artificial intelligence and moving it forward and progressing it, I don't trust them enough to put up uh, to, to self-govern. I just don't because I I, yeah. I think they just want to see how far they can push anything. There's there's well, never and, and part of that is capitalism too, right? Like sure. Google started rushing out their AIs against the internal wishes of their own developers because Microsoft had put out their AI and ChatGPT was getting very popular. And so even even Google, who initially was very careful about putting that stuff out there, has felt the pressure to do it. And that is part of what's concerning people is it's not even an issue 
so much of self-governance, although that is very important. It's that competition is forcing them to act irresponsibly. Mm-hmm. And, and when the one thing I'll bring up is that, at least on the safety issue, the uh, Biden administration, you know, Congress hasn't done anything, right? It's like the least productive Congress in the last, in the in the history of this country was in this modern year. history but, it is, but, yep. Right. So, but the one thing, the Biden administration actually wrote an executive order using a thing called the Defense Production Act, which, you know, is a law that we created for war so that we made sure that we had enough, like, tires for airplanes and stuff. But now what they did is they said AI is a national security issue. And under the law, AI companies above a certain size have to disclose to the government what they're building, what they're learning, what's going on, how it's going bad, when they're struggling, and all of this stuff as a national security issue. And so I think that that is at least going to help to make sure that the safety issue is handled. But I keep coming back to the economy issue, right? Because as much as the government might be able to protect us from the potential of Skynet or whatever, there's this larger thing that people love using AIs. They're fun to work with. I've been playing with it for a long time. And so if, if, if we are not going to find ways for people to be correctly compensated for creating the technology, then what happens, right? What happens eventually to places like these massive media companies that otherwise are losing money, but for some reason, their data is so important. The AI, AI industry has to steal it to be able to create the AI. That, that's part of what I keep. It's just fascinating. So I, this is where I was going to take it, and we'll, we'll leave it here. But this question is, if you have – is it going to be legislation that ends up putting the guardrails on artificial intelligence, or will it be a continual string of lawsuits like this New York Times lawsuit, or is it a combination? It is, it's likely going to have to be a combination, right? And, and part of that will be because AI is touching so many different parts of life. Uh, the one last thing I'll bring up is that one of the godfathers of AI, his name's Jeffrey Hinton, Hinton he went yeah, on 60 yeah, yeah. Minutes, right? And he talked about how he thinks we're going to create within, within a few years an, an artificial intelligence that's as intelligent as us, human beings. And what does that mean for philosophy, for who a person is, what is thought, all these questions? That is not something that can be solved with a simple law that by was, any stretch. That, that's what he said, right? That that he yes. thinks we are closer to that and that it is smarter right now than we think it is. Yes. And, and there, there's a lot of argument for that being true. And part of what I think is, again, this is why I feel better about this than like the people who ended up in, you know, in, in the Terminator is that we are talking about this stuff right now and they were not talking about it. Right. They did not worry about it the way we are. And I think just the fact that we're having these conversations is going to help to make sure that we're safe. No, nah, man, I'm, I'm certain that I will be uh, standing by the playground uh, shouting at everybody <laughs> to go home and then the, the bomb drops and I'm holding on to the chain not. linked fence and then I'm just bones. That'll be me. See Terminator I, 2. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, yes. No, I, I hope <laughs> I hope that does not come to pass for sure. <laughs> Ian Share, Talk to you soon. Thank you. Absolutely. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.